Hello, welcome to my secret obsession. I'm Cherish Lively, and I have some exciting news. In addition to this podcast, I am beginning another podcast that will feature steamy and ultra steamy romance novels. These will be available on the platform Ream Stories. Ream Stories is busy finalizing the ability to upload audiobooks to their site. As soon as it's up, I'll let you know and you can listen to the steamy side of Confessions of a Fallen Good Girl. Please stop by my page to see what's already available at tinyurl.com slash reamcherish. The ebook is now available on Amazon. So, get comfy, turn up the volume, and let's read a book. Chapter 24 Jack double-checked the Glock and then slid it into his boot. They'd grabbed several guns before leaving Savage Security. They didn't have nearly the firepower they had when they'd gone on missions in the Middle East, but he felt confident that he had enough for this situation, especially since the FBI would be armed. He assumed a few snipers would also be in place. Jack drummed his fingers on the passenger door and then rotated a little to look at Mike. Why do you always get to drive? The question came out gruffer than he'd wanted, but he knew Mike's feelings wouldn't wilt. Mike chuckled. Because I'm the better driver. He hated it when Jack drove. Sitting in the passenger seat drove him out of his mind. Truth was, he was a control freak when it came to life. No way in hell that's true, Jack snorted. Is it a control thing, or are you intimidated by me? Jack had the highest score of any of the men at Savage Security on the defensive driving course. He'd be intimidated by himself, too. Good thing he was one in a billion kind of man. You never lack for confidence, Mike replied with a shake of his head. Typically, that's a good thing, but with you, it just comes off as arrogance. Mike jabbed and then laughed. Jack was the best partner he'd ever had. The man could take a joke without his feelings getting all crinkly and acting like a pussy. That's what I thought. You're a control freak, Jack said. Tell me, does Alicia like that side of you? A big smile broke free on Mike's face as he glanced at Jack. Alicia likes all sides of me. He didn't need to be thinking about Alicia right now. He'd already almost lost her once to Pacey. He didn't need a repeat of that with this Hazim and a deal mess. That's why he had her locked down at Savage Security. When he told her that's where he wanted her, she went without protest. Of course she does, Jack said, and you think I'm arrogant. Jack nodded his head with a smirk as they made their way through downtown Carisburg. Mike eased the truck into a church parking lot and cut the engine. We'll walk the two blocks to the FBI van. Jack nodded in agreement and glanced around as he got out of the truck. Since it was after midnight, everything was dark. The stores and businesses were closed. Most of the apartments were dark. Only a few had a dim light glowing from behind the curtains. This area wasn't far from Sultan's Feast. Mike wondered how it was going with the ATF collecting the weapons from the basement. Hopefully, word of their presence wouldn't spread and cause the suspects to flee. They walked through the streets to the meeting point. The FBI van was well disguised. It was a windowless white utility van with a large sign on both sides advertising the locksmith company that the van supposedly belonged to. Although the company didn't exist, if anyone checked, they'd get a recording stating the business hours and website address. Omar Zafar lived on First and Oak Grove, above a bakery. The van was parked a few streets over. The FBI agents checked in at the van and then proceeded to their stations. 
Mike rapped on the van's back door and waited. A woman opened the door to them. Her dark hair was pulled back in a high ponytail, and her fit frame appeared bulky underneath the bulletproof vest. Welcome, she said, motioning with her hand for them to step into the van. I'm Agent Nadia Corey. Jack pulled the van door closed behind him. He and Mike hunched over so that their heads didn't hit the ceiling of the van. Two men sat beside each other looking at computers. Each computer screen was divided into sections. It was obvious that they were watching the video cams on the agent's helmets. Mike extended his hand to Agent Corey. I'm Mike Lewis, and this is Jack Black. Mike motioned to Jack. Jack smiled and gave a head nod. Extending his hand, he said, Tell us what you want us to do. Agent Corey assessed the men before her. They'd come prepared. They were dressed for trouble and carried weapons and backup ammunition. It was obvious to her that they'd be assets in this operation, which was something she often wondered when she was asked to work with people outside of her group. She didn't like the unknown aspect of working with other people. Agent Curry picked up two tactical headsets and handed them to Mike and Jack. Here are your comms. They're two-way. Jack and Mike slid them on. Testing. Testing. Agent Curry whispered. Gotcha, Mike replied, when her voice seeped into his ear. Jack gave a head nod. Heard you both, Jack whispered. Good, Agent Curry stated and then pointed at the computers. As you can see, most of our people are in place. Snipers are on the rooftops. Several men have taken up spots outside the bakery along the street in preparation. We have confirmed that at least five men are in Omar's apartment. She looked at Jack and Mike. There may be more. The team we'll enter with is stationed in the alley between the bakery and First Street. She pointed to the spot on the computer screen. We hope to avoid a shootout. There are apartments above Omar's and on each side. Damn. What about tenants? Is anyone getting them out first? Jack asked. Agent Corey inhaled deeply and set her hands on her hips. That may draw attention to what's going down. We could lose control very quickly. Surprise is our best friend. So each bullet needs to hit its target, Mike stated. One of the men at the computers turned and looked at Mike and then refocused on the screen in front of him. Let's try to do this without firing a single bullet, Agent Corey said. The last thing the FBI needed was for this to go to hell and civilians getting shot or killed. The powers that be also didn't want to risk removing the neighbors because that would tip off Omar and take away their surprise advantage. Jack kept his face expressionless. He'd learned a long time ago that keeping his face a blank slate was best, but he wanted to roll his eyes in exasperation. Whoever gave that order had a lot more faith in the terrorists in the apartment than he did. He knew that Omar and his friends would be armed and motivated to shoot. They didn't care about civilian casualties. There was no way this was going down without bullets flying. Mike's jaw clenched. Anything else? No, they're waiting on us. Us? Jack asked. Yes, Agent Corey replied. I'll be there for translation if needed. She snorted and eyed Jack and Mike. Don't worry, I can handle a gun too. She added with a snark and pushed open the van's back door. As they walked onto First Street, Mike caught a glimmer of light on the rooftop across from Omar's apartment. He'd found the first sniper. Mike, Jack, and Agent Corey eased down the alley and joined the FBI team waiting. Everyone had guns and wore the appropriate tactical gear. They quickly made introductions, and then the team leader, 
Agent Craig Hertz, a hulk of a man in his early 40s, gave the go-ahead. The team silently hustled down the street towards the bakery. A homeless man, covered in a dirty poncho, stood and joined the group, while another man came out of the hiding and took up the rear. Agent Hertz gripped the doorknob and opened the door. Readying his gun, he entered the stairwell that led to the apartments above the bakery. It was a challenge to keep the combat boots quiet as they ascended the stairs, but each man took light steps to diminish the sound. Agent Hertz led the way down the hallway and then took position outside Omar's door. Another agent joined him on the other side of the door as Agent Smothers moved in front of the door with a dynamic entry battering ram. It was compact and powerful. The rest of the team lined the short hallway. Everyone listened for sounds from the apartment. Men's gruff voices filtered through the door. It sounded like they were arguing. Mike and Jack followed Agent Corey as she made her way to the door and listened. The men in the apartment were arguing in Farsi. Jack could make out a few phrases, but he wasn't fluent in the language. Agent Corey summarized what she could make out. They know something's wrong, she whispered over the headset. Hazim failed his mission, and ideal has disappeared. They needed to make their move. Agent Corey made eye contact with Agent Hertz and nodded. She stepped out of the way and adjusted her stance as Agent Smothers took up position with the battering ram. Ready? Agent Hertz whispered. Agent Smothers pulled the battering ram back and then thrust it forward. The cheap wooden door buckled on impact. Agent Smothers stepped aside to allow the others to enter. The door entered to a narrow hallway that opened into the main room. Everything happened at warp speed as their team flooded the apartment. Fuck, Jack mumbled as they charged down the hallway in single file. They were easy pickings like this. FBI, yelled Agent Hertz as he led the team down the narrow hallway. As they entered the main room, the suspects were reacting. The one closest to him pulled a gun and shot. Agent Hertz felt the kick as the bullet slammed into his vest. He'd be feeling that for a while. Agent Curry stepped around Agent Hertz and aimed at the shooter. The shooter adjusted his stance, bringing his gun to focus on her, but she was faster than he was. As her bullet tore through his chest, his knees gave out. His head clunked on the floor as he collapsed, and Agent Curry continued into the room. Mike saw the man before Agent Curry did. The scrawny bald man from the sofa pulled a gun from behind his back and raised it at Agent Curry. Mike's position was poor, but he took the shot anyway. The man's body jerked on impact, throwing off his aim. His arm swung upwards and his bullet sped through the ceiling and into the floor of the apartment above them. Shit. Mike cursed. He hated that the civilians were above them. He'd known it was wrong to not remove them before the mission, but he wasn't the lead. This whole mission would go up shit creek in the media if innocent civilians were killed. Mike paced to the shooter and flipped him onto his stomach. The man roared in pain as Mike jerked his hands behind his back and zip-tied his wrists together. Omar had known they were in trouble, but he hadn't expected to be attacked in his own home. As the agents flooded his apartment, he flipped over the cover on the ottoman and shoved his hand in. Gripping the AK-47, he raised it and readied to let loose on the FBI agents. Jack spotted Omar in the corner of the room as he readied the assault rifle. Jack stared into Omar's sinister eyes as he double-tapped the hulk of a man. Omar's head snapped back when the first bullet entered his head at the bridge of his nose, 
followed by the second bullet slamming into his forehead. The AK-47 dropped to the floor as Omar's body smashed into the side of the sofa and then smacked onto the floor. The other two suspects watched in horror as their friends were shot without a moment's hesitation. They held up their hands and shouted, Don't shoot! Their hands visibly shook as adrenaline flooded their system. The FBI agents flanked the remaining two suspects, keeping their guns on them the entire time. The men put their hands behind their heads and then got on their knees. The FBI agents cuffed them. Jack scanned the room for any other signs of danger. Everything looked good for a millisecond. Then suddenly, a shrieking woman rushed into the room from the hallway that led to the bedrooms. She clutched the edges of her bathrobe around her and rushed to Omar's side. Her black hair tumbled around her face as she knelt over Omar. Gripping his shoulders, she shook him as she screamed in Farsi. She seemed oblivious that the back of his head was missing or that her knees rested in his bloody tissue that littered the carpet. A scared little voice came from the hallway. Shit, Mike said when he turned and saw a young boy peering around the corner. No one had said anything about Omar having a wife and child. Regardless of how bad a parent is, no child should have to see his parents' blood splattered on the carpet. Surely the FBI agents had known. He just didn't see why they chose not to share that tidbit with them. Agent Curry shut off her headset and holstered her gun as she rushed to the youngster and soothed him in Farsi. Slipping her hands under his arms, she set him on her hip and headed down the hallway from where he'd come. Two other agents followed her, ready in case anyone else was in the apartment. The mother stood and screamed when Agent Curry picked up her child. She hurried to move towards Agent Curry, but Mike blocked her, shaking his head. He didn't know if she knew English, so he used his little knowledge of Farsi to tell her to sit down. He pointed at the table across the room in the kitchen. The woman rattled off something to him through tears and sobs, but he couldn't make out most of it. He pointed at the table again. He gladly passed her off to the feds. Let them deal with her and the boy. Agent Corey stepped into the little boy's room and noted how typical it looked for a child his age. A single bed with a safety bar was pushed against the wall. An old dresser was against another wall. And a child-sized table was in the corner. A bin of play school characters sat on the table. Setting the boy on the bed, Agent Curry handed him the stuffed monkey that lay on the pillow. Speaking to him in Farsi, she calmed him and convinced him to rest his head on the pillow. She prayed he would think the bloody scene was a nightmare. If he was lucky, he'd forget the horrific image that would be forever plastered in her mind. Mike and Jack watched as tears streaked the woman's face. She rocked back and forth mindlessly on the chair and kept scanning the room until her eyes finally stopped on her dead husband. Two agents grabbed the suspects and helped them stand. Then they walked the three men out of the apartment to the van that waited for them. Agent Curry brushed her hand over the little boy's head. Her heart broke at the knowledge that this child's life would forever be impacted by his father's actions. Was he better off with the hateful man out of his life? Would he now have a chance to have a good life? Or would his anger towards his father's killers destroy his future? Agent Curry nodded to Agent Smothers and said, you stay here. She looked at the child. The child's dark brown eyes and beautiful eyelashes were locked on her. Agent Curry patted the child's leg and said, I'll get the mother. She hated this side of her job. The children were her weakness. Seeing the pain and suffering in kids when they couldn't begin to understand what was happening ripped her apart. 
She knew that this child would forever see her and her team as the bad guys. More than likely, this child would grow up to have a violent end, too. Agent Corey walked into the main room and glanced down at the two bodies that littered the floor. She'd hoped this could go down without a bullet being fired, but she might as well have hoped that a fairy could sprinkle pixie dust on the bodies and revive them. Agent Corey glanced at one of her agents and pointed to the ceiling. Did someone check on the family upstairs? Yes, the agent replied. They're safe. Maybe there was a god. She had two dead terrorists and three that could end up giving them more insight into the cells in the area. Agent Curry knelt on the kitchen floor beside Omar's wife and spoke to her in Farsi. The woman nodded her head and stood. Agent Curry led her across the room and into her son's bedroom. Chapter 25 1 a.m. Thursday morning Issam Tamir shrugged his broad shoulders as he zipped up his heavy winter coat and slammed the car door. The parking lot was empty, lit only by the occasional streetlight. He hated the freezing winters and the harsh, biting winds that accompanied this time of year. And the fact that winter was still in its infancy for the season irritated him even more. At least his beard helped to keep his face warm. Pulling a woven skullcap out of his pocket, he pulled it down over his ears. The fur-lined hood of his coat rested on his back rather than his head, so the bulk wouldn't limit his visibility. Shoving his gloved hands into the pockets of his coat, he headed in the direction of Omar's apartment. The streets were dark and empty. Even the lights in the apartments and shops were off. A few stores had theft-deterrent lighting and heavy bars on the windows and doors. He knew this wasn't a safe part of town, but it was a hell of a lot nicer than where he'd grown up in Afghanistan. When he'd moved to the city, he'd been amazed at the ease of life when one could just turn a tap and have water, flush a toilet to remove the filth of human waste, or open a refrigerator and enjoy cold milk. Americans took so much for granted. He'd love to teach them some humility. When he'd gotten the call from Omar, he'd been pissed. The last he heard from Hazim regarding the mission was that everything was going great. Two people had successfully infiltrated the savage security circle of friends, which gave them a few options on how to eliminate the team. But then something had gone wrong. Hazim was missing. An ideal would not answer his cell. Assam had nearly thrown his mug into the television when he saw Adita Chopra's picture on the news. It was reported that she committed suicide at the home of a friend, but he wasn't so sure about that. The men from savage security were killers and they'd know how to frame a scene. Had they killed her? Had they questioned her first? Assam didn't have answers to those questions, and now Omar was dragging him into this mess to help sort it all out. Assam turned onto First Street and continued walking down the sidewalk towards Oak Grove. He'd hated the fear he'd heard in Omar's voice over the phone. The man was typically gruff and never let his guard down, but the way Omar's voice shook on the phone concerned Assam. As Omar explained that men from Savage Security had been at Sultan's Feast, he'd begged Assam for a meeting. Assam finally agreed, even though his gut told him not to. They didn't need a meeting. The others just needed to disappear. If the Americans had Hazim or Adil, it was only a matter of time before the men broke and gave up the names of their accomplices, or worse yet, gave up his name. He couldn't let that happen. At a niggling in Assam's gut, he slowed his pace despite his desire for the warmth of Omar's apartment. Looking around, 
he spotted a white van parked along the side of the road. It was detailed as a blacksmith's van, but he hadn't seen it in this area before. He doubted that it belonged to a resident. He was familiar with the people in this neighborhood, and none of them were locksmiths. Then, out of the corner of his eye, Assam noted movement from an alley near Omar's apartment. Men dressed in fatigues with bulletproof vests and helmets filed out of the alley towards the entrance to Omar's apartment. They carried MP5s and wore the FBI badge on their vests. Assam's heart raced with frustration as he realized that shit was about to blow up in his face. Assam slid into the shadows of a doorway and watched as the men disappeared into the building. Slipping his hand into his pocket, he pulled out his cell. The least he could do was warn Omar. Maybe they'd get a few of the FBI agents in the attack before they were slaughtered by the feds. Holding his cell close to his chest to hide the glow, he searched his contacts for Omar's number. As Assam's finger was poised to tap Omar's cell number, the sharp staccato of gunfire echoed in the distance, and flashes of light brightened the darkened windows of Omar's apartment. Assam stood frozen in place, knowing that death had come to his friends. It was probably better that way. If they were dead, he would still be safe. He shut off his phone and slid it back into his pocket. There was nothing he could do for the others. He wasn't sure what to do. So his mind raced with scenarios for his response. If any of the men survived the FBI raid, they could possibly give up his name. He'd have to regroup and think through his next steps. He wasn't spending the rest of his life on an island in the Caribbean. Thank you for sharing your time with me. I hope you enjoyed these chapters. New episodes drop on Tuesdays and Fridays. To keep up with the various novels and authors that we will feature, you can follow My Secret Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, and X, at Cherish Lively, or visit the website at tinyurl.com slash Cherish Lively. Goodbye.